Welcome, everybody, to the Tenacity Strength Fit for Duty podcast. Uh, welcome back, I should say. Uh, I am your host, Larry Brown. Vaughn Atene has taken uh, the podcast off for a little bit. Um, he will be back at a uh, soon-to-be-determined date because uh, he's busy fighting uh, crime in the main streets of uh, New York City. So he'll be back. Uh, we wish him all the best, and we hope that he stays safe. But today, continuing on with the podcast, I have a very special guest, uh, someone who I've interviewed in the past for my written blog, but that was a couple of weeks ago. That was a couple of years ago. And now we're able to catch yeah. up thanks to uh, Zoom and all that good stuff. Uh, ladies and gentlemen from Troponin Nutrition, Justin Harris. How you doing, Justin? What's up? Thanks for having me, man. Hey, no problem. No problem. So a lot of people don't understand before Facebook, before Instagram, um, well, I should say before Facebook allowed normal folks and your grandma and your mama to come on in, um, you had to be a college student. Um, before all of that, we had a little something called uh, message boards. And myself and Justin, we met at a message board uh, that really set the impetus, that really set the stage for a lot of, uh, for a lot of the stuff that you see in bodybuilding right now with video interviews and all that. And it was called oh, yeah. Muscle Mayhem. Um, if you were not part of that Muscle Mayhem era, if you were not part of that message board, um, you missed a very special time in bodybuilding. So I have literally seen Justin, guys from Michigan, Shelby Starr and Steve Kuklo come up from the ground up. Tell us how you got started in bodybuilding. Cause I know you have a football background but how well, did that transition over? Yeah, yeah, it was. It, it might well, it really was. I mean, you know, as a kid, I was kind of interested in. You know, I actually the, I think the very first thing I ever saw was uh, the the Arnold Classic, maybe in eighty eight or eight, it would have been eighty nine. I guess was the first. Was that the, I think that was the first one, and it was on like CBS or something. You know, I was like eight years old, and uh, and I just thought I was mesmerized by it, and I remember. <clears throat> trying to draw what the bodybuilders looked like in bed that night because it was just <clears throat> you know like it, it was like comic book heroes can come to life and so from then on I was always kind of intrigued by it uh but then you know I started lifting weights for for sports for football uh re really about freshman and a freshman year kind of uh 1994 I joined a gym I didn't have a license yet and my mom had to drive me <laughs> to go to my workout every day but from then on I was pretty much 100% focused on lifting, you know, four or five days a week from then until today. It, it was really always for sports. You know, I, I didn't really, I mean, I played division three, just low level, you know, I had a lot of fun. I did well there at that level, but when I was done with that, it was kind of, you know, I didn't know where to put myself. I'd always focus my training on that, getting stronger, getting more athletic. And then suddenly I found myself getting basically fatter by the day because I didn't have, you know, the 40 hours a week of practice and, and footage and lifting and all the stuff that went along with that and uh, and decided I wanted to actually finally look like a bodybuilder. And so that was kind of how it transitioned. It was never really planned. I never grew up like thinking I'd be a competitive bodybuilder or anything. But always, I loved lifting weights. I loved getting stronger. But it was always for sports until the sports were just gone all of a sudden and I needed a new a new outlet or a new thing to kind of focus focus competition on. I mean, you know, for, as, as a kid from like age four, you always have competitions. You're always competing in something, some sport, even if it's just, 
even if it's just at school competing at, you know, racing someone to the, to the basketball net and back or something. And then suddenly like you, you become an adult and you just lose that entirely. Uh, which is hard, I think, is that, you know, when you're in your early twenties and your whole life has been focused on things like that. And so that's kind of where, where it came from looking for another competitive outlet. So talk to me about, you know, some of those early workouts and bodybuilding that kind of, kind of set the stage for uh, the next subject that a lot of the listeners uh, may or may not be familiar with called Project Super Heavyweight. That's that kind of, <coughs> excuse me, that kind of puts you in, um, that kind of puts you in a special status, right? Because you inspired. Yeah, that was really, yeah. Yeah, you inspired a lot of people that are now professionals and they always point to that rear lat spread that you did on your deck at the home you were living at at the time as saying, that's what I want to look like. So talk to me about some of those early workouts and then how you linked up with uh, Dante Trudell, otherwise known as uh, DC. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I mean, I didn't, I didn't really know anything about lifting. I had a workout partner who was just an, an absolute animal. He played D1 football. He ended up hurting his back really bad, but I think he 100% would have played in the NFL. And he didn't, he refused to read the magazines because they always talked about overtraining or, or things like that. He didn't know anything like that existed. And so we would just, you know, we'd read an article about how someone had such a hard workout that they threw up. And so we thought you had to throw up after every workout. And so we would, you know, that was kind of when we decided to lay workout over when one of us threw up. And so I didn't, you know, it was always that kind of probably overtraining start that it built from but always kind of trying to refine it and wanting to understand more about what I was actually doing other than just, I knew it had to be more than just who, who could go in and be the dumbest, basically, you know, training the hardest. And uh, the way I actually met Dante was I was kind of refining my ideas of, okay, I didn't quite 100% fall on board with the Mike Menser full on heavy duty. I thought he went a little overboard at the end, you know, towards the end he was talking, not quite this crazy, but it was almost to the level, you know, do one all out set of pullovers in May, and while one all outside of squats in, in, in December, any more than that, you're overtraining. And I was like, okay, I get, I agree with the progressive overload and, and you know, things like that. And I agree with the, the lower uh, volume, but there, there, there seems to be more, more than that. And I actually, Dante's thread, I don't think it was his cycles for pennies thread, but it was, I believe on that same message board, which I think was actually animals board way back in the day, animal kits, but anyways, he was posting about his methods and I don't think he'd even named it yet because his name at the time was just dog crap on the message board, unfortunately for him. And I went on there and people were arguing against his ideas. And I was, you know, I went on there kind of to, to like agree with them. And I said, guys, this, it's not rocket science. He's telling you to eat more, get stronger, and you're going to get bigger. Well, he read that as when I said, it's not rocket science that I was kind of dogging them. And so he probably messaged me about it and I said you know no 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 I'm I, sorry I worded it poorly but I agree with you 100 percent you know let's let's boil it down boil it down to what what we can guarantee will make us better obviously there's a lot of variables involved and obviously we don't know all the variables and the human body is so complex we might not ever fully know all of them but let's focus on what we do know if I'm benching 100 pounds right now and in five years from now, if I'm benching 500 pounds with the same form, we have to assume that the muscles involved in the bench press are going to be larger. I mean, it, you know, it, there's no, no confusion there, you know, there's no question, you know, and so basically boiled down to how do we, 
how do we make that process as efficient as possible? And, uh, and that's where, where I kind of f fell into his DC training ideas. And that's where what Steve and I were doing, you know, off and on as far as how closely we were following it, there were periods of time where we followed it 100%, periods of time where we kind of added some of our own stuff in, but 100% of the time we were training under the idea of progressive overload, adding weight to the bar, uh, but not, not just weight to the bar, worrying about making a muscle stronger rather than just getting stronger in the movement, but always trying to, you know, overload and, and make progress in every workout if possible. Now, I know a lot of people don't realize that Steve is originally from uh, Michigan. So how long did that training partnership uh, last? Man, really, I mean, really not that long because it was a pretty amazing what we did in the time, but we met in 2004 and he moved to Texas in 2007 and we didn't, and we didn't start training together immediately either. So it was only about two, two and a half years, but in those two and a half years, I went from, you know, a 210 pound local bodybuilder to a, you know, 265 pounds on stage national competitor. And Steve went from a you know, a teenager in high school to essentially pro-level physique. So it was an incredibly productive two, two and a half years, but it wasn't really that long. So I hate to be the old man with uh, story time, but I'm going to be the old man with story time for the listeners. Um, the impact, because the, the Project Super Heavyweight thread was only on intense muscle. Like you could only go there and see the progress that guys were were making with DC like they posted on mayhem from time to time um and I know I know Dante certainly did but intense mm -hmm. muscle and muscle mayhem were the only places that you could see the actual progress that Justin and Steve were doing and that lead up I believe it was the 2004 uh junior USA which I still believe you should have won but that's neither here nor yeah. there um that 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 prep really set you guys on the map is okay these guys can and will be future pros it happened yeah, yeah. It, it happened for steve but i know you had some injuries that kind of curtailed that what happened you know i don't uh, i think it's 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 i can't boil it down to one thing i'll, I'll kind of kind of spread it out i'll start with steve when i met steve uh, he had met someone, I think, at the Arnold Classic, actually, and he was a high school kid. He just went down there his first time, and someone found out where he lived and said, hey, you should go talk to this guy, me. So he, so he gets in touch with me, and he comes over, and you know, I'm just a kid myself. You know, He's 17, I think, maybe, and I'm 21, I don't know, 22, uh, and I'm in an apartment with my, uh, I must have been 23 because I think I was married. We just got married uh, in my apartment, and Steve comes in. You know, at 220 pounds, is like a 17-year-old high school kid carrying this printout from bodybuilding.com, and he said he wants to be a bodybuilder. And this printout, he's looking at, and he says, you know, it says here that you're supposed to eat chicken. Uh, I'm trying to figure this all out, and I'm looking at this kid as a 220-pound monster, and he doesn't even know about protein, you know. And so that was kind of my first thing of, okay, this is, you know, I've worked with, I, I know lots of genetic elites, but this is my first time really seeing a young kid who's clearly at that you know top 10 Mr. Olympia genetic level. And I didn't I, I could tell immediately he, you know, as far as the base genetics, his were above mine. 
then the, the next thing was, uh, you know, we progressed, like you said, that one prep, you know, it was, that was a hell of a year for us. Cause Steve went, he won the junior or he won the team nationals at about 207 pounds, went four pounds, something like that. And I won the Mr. Michigan at 213 pounds. And, uh, nine months later, <laughs> Nine months later, Steve competed at the Motor City Classic as a 240 or 245 pounds super heavy. So he put on, you know, 40 pounds of stage weight and in less than, I think his was only like six or seven months. And then a couple, in a month or two after that, I competed at the Junior USA at 245 pounds. And so I put on about 30 pounds myself in nine months. And that was really the trigger there. But you could already kind of see Steve was already, you know, flying past me you know I had a head start of about 15 pounds of stage weight and within nine months we were already equal and that was already equal with me gaining 30 pounds during that period myself having an incredible year and so you could see pretty quickly that that you know if I was going to have to kind of I was going to have to be a hundred percent to keep up with his 90 percent pace basically which is fine that's not you know that doesn't mean I would that would prevent me from being a pro bodybuilder but as I went on, uh, we, you know, I had kids and we, my wife was pregnant with my third kid and I did the, the USA's in 2007 and I took top 10 and, you know, my prep fell apart at the end, but I did well. And I think Flex Magazine picked me as the one to watch to turn pro the next year. But I kind of just took a, an assessment of everything. You know, I had bad hips. I played on the oldest AstroTurf in the nation, literally for three of my four years, which is basically just a parking lot by the, by the by the time they finally changed the AstroTurf in college. Uh, so my, my hips weren't great. I, uh, I was dealing with some odd issue where I had like a low grade fever uh, year round and I thought it was from overtraining or, and it, it did have some relation to training. It turns out, I found out later on, it was like celiac disease and uh, <laughs> I can't eat gluten. I'm one of those homos, but uh, uh, you know, my, my, my punishment for making fun of uh, for making fun of food allergies my whole life is that I got uh, I got the, the food allergy I made fun of the most, I guess. But and uh, so there really wasn't like a single point. It was realizing the genetically uh, how hard I was pushing everything at that time, you know, and 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 knowing what it was probably doing to my health, and knowing that I had a third child on the way, and kind of thinking, all right, I'm injured. Uh, you know, I'm dealing with these health issues. I'm pushing really hard uh, and I'm struggling to even, even though I'm making incredible progress, you know, and most people would consider my rate of progress about as, as, as fast as you'll see, I'm struggling to keep up with Steve already, you know, and he's a 22, 23 year old kid. I'm 26 at the time. And I just kind of decided, you know, I'm, I didn't really plan on not stepping back entirely. I thought I'm gonna take a little break. I went, I applied to grad school and thinking, you know, this isn't thinking I'm going to take a little break, step back and come back. But you know, I just never came back, I guess. I got you. So you're you're part of the you're part of the group of bodybuilders that loves training, but absolutely is not a fan of competition. No, no. I mean, I love getting in shape. I love the progress. But no, I just. No, I, you know, I, I hated it. And then actually that was always my downfall. Like you talked about those rear, that rear lad on my back porch. That was basically the downfall of that show prep. Cause I took those photos, posted them online, got a ton of hype. And in my mind, it was, that was basically the end of prep. Cause I saw, wow, I clearly made progress. I could do this. I could be a professional bodybuilder. At that point, all I wanted to do was get back to the off season, making new progress and for the next year. I was never, 
it, it was always, you know, proving to myself that I was better than the previous prep. Once I got to that level, it was really difficult for me to care about the actual contest for whatever reason. I don't, I don't know why. I think because it was, in my mind, I was always in competition with myself. I think it, I had the idea that at some point I would be in competition with other people, but my ultimate goal was to be a professional. And until I reached that stage, it was great to win competitions, but they were, the, the goal was improving as a bodybuilder to become a professional bodybuilder, not necessarily to win competitions. And so it was, so it was really just never about the competitions for me. I love training. I love getting stronger. I love the, the progress. I think that's absolutely the most enjoyable thing about the sport is that everything else you do in life, you know, you go to work, you keep the same job, you, you know, like as an adult, your life is basically like the movie Groundhog Day. It gets a little, uh, it's, it, it's hard to get excited about the, about the future when you know the future is going to be exactly the same as it is today for the most part. I mean, that's what, it, that's what adulthood is. And so bodybuilding was that chance to always progress, always improve, always have some future goal that I was excited about. And, and, and really, that's the biggest thing I miss about competing is it made everything so simple. I didn't have to worry about anything else. You know, you could tolerate however shitty your job was. You could tolerate anything else was going on because you knew you had this one really high, high level focus that every day you got up and there was some, some long-term goal that you were excited about working towards. And it, it really made everything else in my life incredibly simple. You don't have to worry about anything else because today I get to, whatever, it's my high carb day. Today I get to eat high carbs and I get to see what I look like filled out. Today is my leg day. I get to see if I hit that new PR on squats. Today is, you know, and so it, I, I love that aspect of it, but I, I'm kind of getting off on a tangent now, I guess, but. No, no, no. So I, I think my question is, is, uh, well, let me ask a question before I lead into the next one. Have you always prepped yourself? Like for your last prep for Masters Nationals, um, who prepped you? For that one, I actually helped, Brad Hall, a good friend of mine helped me. Uh, he does things extremely similar to me. So it was, it was almost, it wasn't that much different from prepping myself. And I, I hate to even call that contest a, a contest. My head wasn't in it the whole time. I, I just wasn't in, I didn't have that singular focus that you need to have, you know? I mean, I guess maybe some guys with the, with incredible genetics might not need that, but for me to get in the kind of shape I need to be to win a show, it needs to be the, the first, second, third, and fourth thought on my mind at any given time. And, it, and it, it just wasn't there. I was trying to convince myself that I still had the passion for it, but I just didn't. But up until that show, it would have always been uh, coaching myself primarily because one of my other main interests was coaching and I wanted to learn as much as I could about bodybuilding nutrition and, and contest prep and I always felt like as a coach it's difficult to experiment with new ideas on clients it's not fair to the paying client and so I always felt like it was up to me to do that on myself which I can only do if I'm competing and coaching myself so now this leads me into my next question um I don't, I don't, I don't know Mr. Brad. So please, if he's listening, take this as no dig on you. And please, as a, as your, as a client, don't take a dig on him. Um, but have you ever thought about getting like a John Meadows to prep you? Because I, the reason I ask is because I am like, if people have transitioned into full mom and dad life, I know a couple of people that are, that are former IFBB pros that are like, Nope, I'll never do it again. I like my mimosas. I like my, I like <laughs> my lunches, all that. But like, I still see fire inside of some people. And 
like I don't want that to burn out, especially with somebody who has a lot of potential. I still think you have that potential, even in what your forties, because yeah, we're around yeah. about the same age. Yeah. So I, I think that dream can of being a professional can still be realized. And I, I think having that singular focus is good but from what I'm learning, because I'm still immature in a lot of aspects when it comes to this, like I'm learning how to balance a family. I'm learning how to balance it with bodybuilding. I'm learning how not to blow my entire fucking paycheck on supplements and bullshit like that. <laughs> um, but I still think it's something there where it could be a singular focus. But I think the main part of the singular focus has to be on progressing every week. And I feel like as long as you hit your meals, like I'm going by the saying, as long as I hit my meals, do my cardio, stay on this diet, good things will happen. And the singular focus has to be within that hour, hour and a half, two hours worth of training. And then I can go back to being dad, business owner, newscast producer, whatever you and me are in this world right now. I still think you have it. And I would hate to not see you realize that and you still have it. You understand yeah. what I'm saying? No, I get it. And I, and I actually understand exactly what you're saying because I, I would probably agree wholeheartedly that for me to turn pro, I would need to uh, give the reins to someone else uh, for that reason, for the main reason of just not, ha not having the time and energy to put the focus into that with all the other things going on and needing that simplicity of a printout, I follow this, I don't have to think, I just, I just, I just do. Uh, yeah, I, I, I just, I, I don't, I never say never. Uh, I just don't know when that ever would be. Uh, I don't, yeah, I've, I've never said I've, com I've quit competing or I, or I retired or anything. And I still train and I still train hard. And I always, you know, I'll, it's always in the back of my head making another run at it. I just don't know that it'll, if it'll happen. And I, and I get that, but I just, I just really want you to think, uh, like, let's just be honest, 2019 and uh, 2020 and even part of 2021 is a complete wash with various things. We've talked right. about uh, how the COVID situation in Michigan has really screwed things up for a lot of people. Um, right. But I, I, I really want you to seriously think in 2022, making it your year, right? Because you're how old? 42. 42. 42. Okay. So I'll be 42 again this year. All right. We also have to understand that as masters bodybuilders, and I've touched on this before with a couple of people. Um, ultimately, this is a young man's sport, right? We, in the macro of bodybuilding, we don't matter. We don't get the gaps contracts. We don't get a lot of supplement contracts. You're an anomaly and more so because of your knowledge and the impact that you've had on bodybuilding. Um, we don't get a lot of things, you know, social yeah. media has helped with that, but we don't get a lot of exposure. I'm here to tell people that although we're old, because scientifically they did a study, I don't know if you've seen it, I'll send it to you, that run times decrease for marathoners in their 40s by a double digit percentage point. So when you turn 40, you are indeed over the hill. Oh, yeah, yeah. What I'm here to tell people is that, yes, I'm over the hill, but I've seen a lot of shit and we have something to talk about. 
We've got <laughs> stuff out there that y'all need to understand that, hey, you may not want to do this for a long time. So what I'm trying to say is like legitimately good masters bodybuilders like yourself, we need you in the sport. We really well, do. You know, the, the thing is, is I'm in a situation I've never been in. Uh, I've, I've always worked at least two jobs uh, all the time, all through when I was competing, even when I was building my business, kept a full-time job, even all, all the way until last year, uh, I kept a, a full-time job as an engineer while, even while, even as my other stuff made more money than my full-time job. Uh, and so I've never had a situation where I could, you know, all my preps were done. Like when I won the Mr. Michigan, I was uh, coaching people, uh, working as an exercise physiologist and then bouncing on the weekends. And so my, my Fridays would be, I'd, I'd go to the gym at 4.30 to be to work at seven, leave work, do cardio, then go to the bar. And then I want to get home till 4.30, you know, it'd be 24 hour days. And so I which a lot of young guys do, but my, my whole career, I guess, was, you know, always, was always that way where I was always doing at least two jobs while trying to compete. And this is the first time ever in my life where the only thing I'm doing really the full time is the coaching. And so I'm home all day. And so I, I, you know, it's been targeting my brain a little bit more that, you know, this would be the first time ever I could actually do a prep where my primary focus would be just doing things right, not how could I fit things in as close to right as possible. That's fair. That's fair. Um, like I said, just think I, I'm saying this as a fan of Justin Harris. This, so this is very selfish on my part. I think about 2022. No, it's always, it's, it's always in the back of my head. And I don't know. I, I haven't been posted much, but I'm building a full gym at the house. Uh, and so I'm kind of working on rekind rekindling that, that, that kind of full passion, uh, which, which really kind of sucks is I kind of had it, uh, right when COVID hit, I was, that the that that you know December January and February right before it fully hit was the the first time in a long time where I was doing everything full on and my body weight was getting back up around 290 and I was putting up some of the biggest lifts I've ever put up and I was really really in kind of in that mindset again but like you said you know COVID hit and uh the gym's closed I had to train at home at the time I all I had was a squat rack and a bench you know it was enough to get some work done but it wasn't it was difficult to keep that same full-on passion without the full gym. And then it kind of, over the course of the year, you know, that, you know, it's, it's the weird thing about this sport is you always love lifting. You always love following the sport. You're always reading about it, but your own personal mental kind of passion, you know, ebbs and flows. And so, you know, sometimes it's that full-on passion where you wake up in the morning and the only thing you're thinking about is your workout for the day. And then sometimes it's, it's where, you know, you know, you're going to get your workout in, but it isn't the only thing you're thinking about during the day. And really to, to go at that level, to, be, to turn professional, it needs to be in that mindset where you wake up and all you're thinking about is your food and your training. That's what you're most excited about every day. And I was there for a little bit. It, it, we'll see if it comes back, I guess. All, all things in time, but I'm, I'm just know that Bad, bad Leroy Brown is pushing for you. <laughs> I appreciate come it. Back. I'm pushing for you to come back. But uh, I want to move on a little bit. Let's talk about your actual company, Troponin Nutrition. Um, it's been around a while, but now uh, in, recent, in recent years, actually, you dived into eBooks. You have a very interesting program that I've used uh, to hell with you for that leg extension hack squat. <laughs> oh, by yeah, the way, yeah. um, it's absolutely brutal. You got power bodybuilding, you have 
uh, Shredded, which is an Excel worksheet that I'm kind of using the, 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 the worksheet now to help me drop some weight. And you also have uh, mass, carb cycling for mass. Mm -hmm. um, you know, tell us how these, these products were developed. Actually, tell us how your business was developed first, and then tell us uh, why the dive into digital versus hardcover ebook. Yeah, yeah. Well, the business started as that I was kind of helping people. You know, my, my, my undergrad is exercise science with a focus on nutrition. And so I was always, I had the nutrition background, you know, but from a clinical standpoint, which is very, very different from performance nutrition and very, very, very different from bodybuilding nutrition. But I was helping people kind of locally uh, with, with just diets, nutrition, and, and I helped a couple people compete in the early 2000s. Um, they did really well. And so I kind of got like a local reputation where I would help people. And I, you know, this is, there were coaches back then in the late nineties, there was in, in, in early 2000s, it was basically Chad Nichols and Milos there was, and, maybe, and Chris Aceto. That was, there was nobody, you know, you didn't hire a local, you didn't hire a coach as a local competitor. Very rarely, you know, you might've had a, a guy at the gym who would give you some hits, hints or something. But so I never really thought about it as a, as a career, but, uh, one, one, when I was prepping, I think for the Mr. Michigan, uh, a couple of people started asking me and I was like, I'm just so overloaded. You know, I got two jobs, I'm prepping myself. And they said, well, I'll pay you. And so I was like, okay. And then I got charged them something ridiculous, like 50 bucks to write a diet or something. But, you know, I started getting more clients and I, you know, told my wife, I said, you know, I think I got something here. I don't know what to do with this, but I, I think I should set something up. And one night uh, she couldn't sleep and she was just kind of thinking and so she kind of put together the shell of a website uh and that was my first website which we named Troponin Nutrition because my name on the on the forums at the time was Troponin it was either Troponin or Tropomyosin there's a couple I used Tropomyosin on it turns out probably the worst name to pick for a business because trying to explain people to go to my website Troponin Nutrition you know it's just in person is pretty difficult because no one knows how to spell that word but um that and it kind of it just grew from there and then it grew to where I was coaching a lot of people and Shelby was with me at the time and uh, kind of getting burned out on it. And it's it, because people don't realize, uh, I don't think they realize how, just how much uh, email work it is. Because you might get, because right now with my client load, I'll get as much as 50 to 70 emails a day, which people think, oh, I got a lot of emails at work. But these are emails that you have to read and answer and they take a, a solid 10 minutes or more per email. And I think anyone would agree that even 10 minutes on a full check-in email is probably, probably light as far as time. And so you do 60 of those, you know, that's 600 minutes, that's 10 hours of answering emails, you know, and that's, you know, every day. And so it gets, it's, it's rewarding, but it really gets hard, like mentally you know, to, to stay focused in front of a computer that long. And so I was, kind of burned out and I backed off on the coaching quite a bit when I went back to grad school and then a real lot towards the end where I was only working with a few people. Uh, but when I came back, I thought, okay, what can I do to kind of mitigate that burnout a little bit better? And I thought, well, I need to, I need some more passive income. I need a way to use my knowledge other than just someone asked me a question and I, I give them that knowledge, you know, which is what you do with coaching, which is, obviously fully customized and it's going to be more expensive, but it's, you know, I, I felt there's got to be a way to, to, to kind of give this in a different way. And so that's where the books came out. And I had success. I wrote a book, Comprehensive Performance Nutrition in 2008, but that, like you said, that was a hard copy, a hard, you know, a regular book version. 
And so I thought, well, let's let's try this ebook, you know, thing. And so I started. I think the first one I think was uh, Power Bodybuilding, which is a training program, and it sold well. And so, so ever since then, I just kind of make it my, you know, one of part of my daily tasks is I always try every day. I try to add one little thing towards a new ebook. And so I have most of Comprehensive Performance Nutrition 3 written right now. You know, it doesn't mean much as far as that because the editing and stuff takes twice as long as the writing, but I'm always just kind of looking to when, uh, like what I'm actually trying to work on right now is explaining how sodium, the, the sodium balance uh, and, and, and peaking for a contest and how it all really depends on that and, and depends on the fact that your body needs to keep its blood sodium concentration at 0.9% sodium and how you can manipulate that to, to properly peak for a show. And it's something I, I you know, I, it, it's basically just that, that's where it came up is I have these ideas like that and you, you want to get them out there and you want to get them out to as many people as possible. And really the only way to do that is to put them in writing and then, and then sell it somehow. So let's talk about, let's talk about performance. Uh, not necessarily performance, I'm sorry, power bodybuilding. So I, I am a fan of the term, right? I think like anything with power in it, like gets me. That's why I've always wanted to train in the nineties at powerhouse gym versus yeah. gold's gym. Yeah. You know, there's something about that word, but anyway, um, <clears throat> tell us about power bodybuilding. And that, power that's basically my, uh, that's kind of my derivation of what of DC training, more or less. It's a it's it's kind of a purely progressive overload approach, and it's it's more along the lines of what when I would when Steve and I would train and we'd kind of veer from pure DC and veer into what we what our kind of personal preference was. It's more towards that pathway, which is you basically you go in and every workout has to have progress in some in some manner. That doesn't mean you're going to get stronger on every workout or every exercise. And it doesn't mean you're even going to pick the, the exercise you get stronger in, but there's over the course of a full workout, if your mind is in the right place and your diet is in the right place, there's no reason why you can't force some level of progress every workout. And so whether or not that's picking your mate, maybe on a chest workout, picking an incline barbell press and your goal is to increase weight or reps on that movement or it, but but I, I, try, I tried to branch that out to be more inclusive as far as what actually progressive overloading is, rather than just with the straight DC where it's kind of almost exclusively to adding more weight, which I think is the most productive and most effective way to overload. I, you know, I, I look for, for more ways to do that. And so we, with power bodybuilding, we kind of allow progressive overload through multiple pathways. The, the most obvious one is getting stronger. You know, that's, the, that's always the goal. But the next one is, is you can if we're doing uh, a set or because not all these set, not all the power bodybuilding sets are straight to failure or one all out set to where you try to set a PR on. Some of them are actual volume sets also. So we might do three sets. So let's go back to incline press. Say one movement, one workout, we have three sets of incline press shooting for about 10 reps. And so there's, there's more ways to progressively overload on that than just adding more weight. We can do uh, three sets instead of doing 10, 10 reps each for a total of 30 reps, we could do three sets, but find a way to get 31 reps across all three sets. Or we can do 30 reps, but find a way to do it in less time than we did the 30 reps the previous workout. And so that's kind of where, where power bodybuilding branches out from DC is that it involves more 
more ways that allows for you to overload and cause progression. But the goal is still every workout is progress. And just out of curiosity, um, how do you apply this to, is there like, and I'm trying to word it in a way that makes, makes me not sound like a newbie, but I'm going to sound like a newbie. Uh, does this apply for natural bodybuilders, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and obviously you're going to be, you're going to be more restricted. You know, your, your, your rate of progress is going to be uh, slower, but we're not, you know, we're not looking for, there's, you know, progress doesn't have to be in chunks. You know, it's, you, you can, uh, it, progress on a deadlift, say you've done 500 for a set of three, you know, 500 for a set of four is obviously progress, but that's a big jump. That's, you know, 25% more reps with the same weight all at once. That's, you know, you, as an enhanced athlete, you might be able to expect that very regularly, but as a natural athlete, especially when training a long time, you can't guarantee that or expect that. But what you can do is you can do a set of three again and put that last rep, do a slow negative. That's a, that's a higher workload than a set of just a set of three where you just drop that third rep. Or you can do a set of three where you, where you hold at the top, or you can do a set of three where you, you rest 10 seconds less before that set of three than you did the last time you did a set of three. So there's, the goal with like kind of power bodybuilding and then eventually critical mass was kind of a second iteration of that. The goal is to, to create more pathways to, to prove to yourself that you've progressed in the workout over just pure weight or strength increases. Because I think another problem is what, one of the, I don't want to say a downfall of DC because I love the program and I think it's added more size to people in the last 20 years than probably any other program worldwide. But I think one of the downfalls is, is that, as you get really strong, it gets difficult to continue adding weight and it gets more difficult to continue adding weight to the movements because of an increase in muscular strength rather than other ways. What I mean by that is take, take a squat, for example, and say I do 400 for a set of 10 right now, 405 for 10. Now I can force myself to get 11 the next workout, but it's very unlikely that I got 10% stronger, which is what an extra rep would be at that, at that rate in one week on one movement. So the, how, what am I doing to get that 11th rep? Well, I'm probably finding a way to be more biomechanically ad, advantageous, or I rested longer before the set, or I wrapped my knees tighter, or I cinched my belt tighter, or I put the bar a little lower on my back, or I widened my stance a little bit. All things like that that did, do allow me to get that 11th rep and prove a, a strength increase, but not necessarily guarantee that that strength increase came because my quads got stronger. It, it, and it's, it's very, it becomes more and more likely as you get stronger and more advanced in that program that your strength increases are not from actual muscular increase in strength, but because of better biomechanics in a movement or resting longer before a set. And so I was trying to find ways to kind of circumvent that. And, and, then, and then when you mentioned with natural uh, lifters, that becomes even more important because the, the point where you reach that level as a natural lifter is gonna be much earlier than as an enhanced lifter. And so you really run into the problem as a natural lifter is that you're, as far as your progressive overload work is involved, is, is, is concerned, you become an advanced lifter much sooner. As you know, that might be you know, sound uh, counterintuitive, but what I mean by that is you, re you get closer to your natural strength max much sooner than someone who's blasting a ton of gear. And so you run into that issue where the way to, to get a PR or to add weight on a movement become where you, you do that by 
changing the way you do the movement to get more biomechanically advantageous rather than just making the muscle stronger, that hits way sooner as a natural lifter than as an enhanced lifter. And so in, for, with that kind of background, I think this approach is actually better for natural lifters because it, it finds way to circum, circumnavigate that issue uh, which natural lifters run into much sooner. And that's that. The reason I bring that up is because I don't know if you were familiar with a gentleman by the name of Ryan Doris. Mm -hmm. Okay, so he, uh, we talked about natural bodybuilding a little bit. Uh, obviously, I think everyone kind of gets their start in natural bodybuilding. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people nowadays with the advances that we have, uh, as far as nutrition, uh, training still seems to be kind of the what the fuck factor. Because mm -hmm like now programs have become programs have almost become kind of uh clickish cultish yeah. if you want to call it that oh, yeah. um you know what are you running well i'm running power bodybuilding what are you running well i'm running jp's program you know um so i just i would like for people to try everything and then settle thing settle on one thing and then just really uh work hard at that one thing but having experience with power bodybuilding, I think it's an excellent program. Um, if you haven't tried it, that hack squat versus leg, that hack squat leg extension combo is an absolute beast. Oh, I, it, yeah. it, it'll blow your legs up. It'll blow your legs up. <clears throat> Let's move on to actual uh, nutrition right now. Um, you were one of the few people that really highlighted the effectiveness of intra-workout nutrition and with different carbohydrate compounds. And I think you even wrote a book on that. Uh, yeah. Talk to me about that. How did you develop in this knowledge of uh, intra-workout nutrition and where are you at on it right now? Yeah, I, well, so I always try to, uh, I, I try to, I always think if you understand the basics of any subject, like if you have a degree in nutrition or, or kinesiology, you, you should know enough about the basics where any new information you get should come from first principles. If you can't derive it from the base knowledge of how the body works, then it's, it's, not, it's not, well, one, it's not your idea. And two, you have to think, why am I, you know, why am I doing this? And if basically, if it's not first principles and you derive it from scratch, then all you're doing is repeating the word someone else said, which doesn't make it your own. And so I always try to do that. I always try to trace in, anything I do. If I can't trace it back to all the way back to, well, the, the, the food enters my mouth, you know, if I can't trace that amino acid and how it, how it gets broken down to die and tripeptide form in the stomach and the small intestine and what those amino acids mean for protein synthesis and how all the essential amino acids need to be included in the diet, how all 20 amino acids need to be present at the site of protein synthesis, yada, yada. If I can't do that, then I don't really understand what I'm doing. And all I'm doing is piecing together basically words I've read from other people, which is, is basically just closing my eyes and throwing a dart at a dartboard and hoping it works. I don't know, those words aren't mine and I don't know that I'm pairing them together properly. And so that's what I try to do. And so the way the intro workout stuff came out was I was just trying to you know, personally think, how do I get the most out of my workouts? And so the basic assumption is that the workout time is more important than other times of the day. And I think it's probably pretty, pretty universally accepted now that that's probably true. I mean, 15 years ago, I don't know that that necessarily was. And 20 years ago, when I first started training, there was only a mild 
increase in importance placed on the post-workout meal. That was it. Other than that, your, the rest of your workout, your meals were all just kind of considered the same. And even a lot of the cases, the post-workout meal wasn't considered even that special. And so I was thinking, okay, there's got to be something more important about the training time, the time around training. So what, what makes it important? I say, well, is there an increased rate of muscle protein synthesis? I would say, well, we're, we're, we're working the muscle, we're contracting the muscle, we're tearing it down. It seems to me more likely that the body's going to ask for an increased rate of repair of those tissues around that same time. So that's, so, okay, so we need some kind of aminos or protein for that. And I thought, what, what else is going on? I thought, well, we need a supply of nutrients. What is a primary fuel for training? Well, the first primary fuel is the creatine phosphate pathways, which we could take creatine for. And the second is glycolysis, which is glucose or, you know, carbohydrates to, to fuel the training. So I thought, okay, well, how do we maximize that? And why do we want to maximize that? Well, we want to maximize that because we need a steady level of blood sugar while we're training. We can get that through our pre-workout meal, but if that if the blood sugar level dips, then the body has to replace that blood sugar by pulling uh, glycogen from the liver. And there's all kinds of issues that can come with that. And, and you can get short bouts of mild hypoglycemia where your blood sugar levels are decreased a little bit, which is going to have a negative impact on your workout. So it's okay, so we need some kind of supply of carbohydrates. Uh, and at the time, there really wasn't any the idea of high molecular weight carbohydrates, but that started to come out. And I think Dante is probably, I think he was the one who probably brought that, like he's done with so many things, kind of into the, into the discussion was the idea of amylopectin, which is a high molecular weight carbohydrate, which has a low osmolarity, which means basically that, so in the, in the blood, your, the osmolarity of your blood is about 300 nanograms per deciliter. And so if you drink something that has that same osmolarity, there's no pull, there's no gradient to get it from your stomach and your small intestine into the blood if it has the same osmolarity. And so what you want is something with a lower osmolarity. And so there's actually something to kind of suck it out of the, out of the, uh, the GI tract and into the bloodstream where it can work. And, and that's basically what uh, high molecular weight carbohydrates did was they were these huge complexes of glucose molecules with a ton of surface area where it can, it's a very, very complex, large carbohydrate, but it's got so much, so much surface area of the glucose molecules that it can pluck, you know, if you picture a tree and the leaves being glucose, a tree is a very, very complex carbohydrate compared to a sugar, where a sugar would be a single leaf. But what the tree has is it's got all that surface area, all those leaves on the outside, whereas it's, if you picture a tree kind of getting pushed or a bush getting pushed through the small intestine, all those leaves that they rub against the side of the small intestine, that leaf can get pulled off, that leaf can get pulled off, that leaf can get pulled off. So you have this really large complex carbohydrate, but that acts basically like a bunch of simple sugars that enter the bloodstream really quickly and continue entering the bloodstream really quickly for a long period of time. So you get basically all the benefits of a, a, a simple sugar with all the benefits of a complex carbohydrate. And on top of all that, it's got that high molecular weight, which means it doesn't spend any wasted time in the stomach bloating you. It goes right through the stomach and right into the small intestine where to do its work. And so that's kind of where it all came from. So I thought, how do we maximize all these things? Well, the high molecular weight carbohydrate like covers us for the, for the glucose, basically for the blood sugar levels. Uh, and then early on, I was using branch chain amino acids, which I changed my mind to essential amino acids. And the reason to choose branch chain amino acids is because I wanted leucine, which is kind of the specific trigger for muscle protein synthesis. But I thought later on, I changed that to, yes, the leucine will trigger that, but it can only cause muscle protein synthesis if all the essential amino acids are there. So why don't we just switch rate right to the essential amino acids? And then the other things involved with kind of 
change over time? Like, am I including creatine with it? Does it matter? Is creatine better used after the workout? Glutamine, should I add extra, you know, L-tyrosine or L-leucine? Uh, uh, or, or, and but basically the, the core of it is that you want these essential amino acids so that the muscle protein synthesis can occur where it's more likely to occur, which is around a workout. And you want immediately available glucose molecules to keep blood sugar levels steady, which is what the high molecular weight carbohydrates do. So what are some of the compounds that you advise to use for intra-workout nutrition? Because right now, uh, uh, cyclic branchodextrin is kind of the it product. Mm -hmm. But what are some other compounds? I know at one point you were using carbolin. Yeah, and I still like carbolin. And I like it because of the taste, honestly. Because you, you have to think, what's the difference between them? And so the, the primary difference is there are all these huge clusters of, of glucose molecules. And so they are going to have the high molecular weight. They're going to have the low osmolarity. And so they're all going to be similar in that aspect. And so then you kind of have, well, you have a... Uh, you know, if you have a series of fast cars, they all drive fast. And so what the, there's minor differences, some might handle better. Some of them have a turbo and there's going to be turbo lag. Some of them are supercharged. And that's really the only difference is they're all, all these, these, all these different high molecular weight carbs are cars that run a really fast quarter mile time, but there's some variances between them. Uh, I like carbon specifically just because the taste, it just tastes really good. And so it, if it's causing the same action as something that doesn't taste as good, then for me, that, that, that's a no brainer. There's, there's other differences. And one of the things with the, with the branch psychodextrins uh, that, I, that I think has kind of been missed is that uh, the way uh, 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 the, the halobranch psychodextrins work is that there actually, there's three different types. There's, uh, I think it's alpha, beta, beta, and gamma, gamma psychodextrins. The beta ones I think is what everyone uses. And those are seven ring psychodextrin. What it actually is, is it's a cone-shaped molecule. And so it's this seven ring uh, cluster shaped in a cone, you know, like a traffic cone, basically. That's hydrophobic on one side, hydrophilic on the other. And that's actually the way Febreze works. Febreze is made of psychodextrins. I think Febreze is the gamma eight ring psychodextrin. It's a little larger. But what that, the reason you can Febreze and forget it is because you spray that on and the stink kind of gets sucked into that cone. And then you got that hydrophobic, hydrophilic uh, action going on with water. And when you later on, so you, so you forget it and the stink is trapped in the cone and later on when you wash it with a wet rag that reverses that hydrophobic hydrophilic nature, the stink gets pumped into the rag and taken up off wherever you know, you're bed or whatever. And, and that's how that works. And so I think there's still some potential with, uh, with uh, cyclodextrins that aren't, isn't being used and where you could find a way to basically trap nutrients inside that cone for more rapid digestion because that cone get, goes through the stomach extremely quickly because of its high molecular weight and into the small intestine where the absorption actually happens, where other nutrients that you wanna take like the amino acids or some of your supplements don't have that high molecular weight. So they sit around in the gut for a long time and don't get into the small intestine until later. And so there's a slower absorption with those. But if you could trap those in, uh, the, in the conic shape of the psychodextrin the same way that stink gets trapped with Febreze, then you have you have those things getting pulled through the, the stomach into the small intestine just as quickly as the high molecular weight carbohydrate, which will kind of maximize the whole thing. Now, the problem is you're, you're bound by the fact that there's only so, that so much size that these cyclodextrins have. The cones are only so big and you're bound by the, that you need, you need the molecule to be properly hydrophobic or hydrophilic so that it can actually get trapped in the cone. 
But I've always been kind of surprised. Uh, I don't have a supplement company, but if I did, I, I would probably put in a decent amount of my research into that aspect. It's always kind of surprised me that no one else has. Uh, and and in the, even unfortunately for the sport, not even so much that it would actually work. It's that the, the science sounds cool and you know people would buy it to try. But that's kind of the main difference between the carbohydrates is, is little things like that. Uh, <clears throat> amylopectin, the waxy maize is a, is a corn-based thing, but it's still a high molecular weight carbohydrate with a low osmolarity. Uh, the targo was a potato-based one, but it has the same, it's the same thing. It's a high molecular weight. Uh, carbolin, I can't even remember what carbolin is made of, but it's the same thing. It's a high molecular weight carbohydrate. So they all have the same action, more or less. They just come from different sources, and then they have some minor differences. So really, it depends upon it depends upon taste and what your body can tolerate. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think you could you could use you could have three different people using all the three different sources over ten years, and I don't think you're going to notice a difference between them, other than the fact that, that they're probably going to be better off than they would have if they weren't using an intro workout. But the, the very specific carbon involved, I don't think makes that big of a difference. What do you think about this new one that's on the market that a lot of users are making, including uh, Gasperi? They're using a mix of uh, HCBDs and this one called uh, Carb 10 that's derived from pea starch. What's your opinion on pea, on Carb 10? Yeah, I don't know a ton about that, but I, I do know that uh, the, the, the pea stuff is actually really interesting because the pea protein is... Uh, is uh, uh, pea protein was a, a very interesting protein powder that, that Dante was actually looking at into about 15 years ago. Now, from what I understand about carb 10 is it's just, it's basically a newer, uh, similar, but potentially better version of the high molecular weight carbohydrates. It's another very, very large cluster of, of glucose uh, molecules with a, which a, with a very low osmolarity. And I think it's got the lowest osmolarity. I don't know that you'll find that data anywhere. But I feel like it has even lower osmolarity than amylopectin or H, uh, highly cyclodextrins. And so it's kind of an oxymoron because it's a low, low GI, low glycemic index, which people think it's going to be it's slowly getting in the bloodstream. But all that means is that it's got a ton of glucose molecules attached. So again, going back to the analogy of a tree or a large bush, it's got all those leaves. But because there's so much surface area, and it gets to the stomach so fast, those first leaves, those first glucose molecules get in the bloodstream much quicker than even a pure sugar would. So it actually starts spiking blood sugar much sooner than a high GI carbohydrate, even though it's a low GI carbohydrate. Now, how it differs from a high GI carbohydrate, so basically, <clears throat> uh, uh, like, like a maltodextrin or, or, or glucose or something, what that would be, would be like if you took a tree, a small tree with like 50 leaves, and you kind of glued them all together. And so they sit there and you, the only way it can get into the small intestine is the stomach has to break up that glue. So it sits there in the stomach forever. And then when it gets in the small intestine, you have all these loose leaves that get sucked up right away. So that glucose gets sucked up immediately when it gets in the small intestine, it just takes longer to get there. So it's a high, high GI carbohydrate, a really fast sugar that spikes blood sugar really quickly. Once it gets in the bloodstream, it just takes a little while to get there where these, uh, these high molecular weight, low glycemic index carbohydrates are the opposite. They spend almost no time in the stomach. They take a very long time to completely digest, but those first leaves or those first glucose molecules start entering the bloodstream much, much sooner than even a pure sugar would. 
Now, for everyone that's listening, if your head is kind of spinning, don't worry about it. Mine is too. Uh, the beauty for this is that you can go back and rewind this multiple times and take down notes. So, um, you know, Milos, like you've said earlier, was kind of like the pioneer of this intra-workout nutrition, like really taking a lot of carbohydrates and really just shoving <clears throat> muscle. In your opinion, is there a training system or a style of training that's more advantageous to do to do intra-workout training nutrition with? Because I know yes. Milos, Milos likes a, a ton of uh, sets to failure, uh, some heavy duty sets, like he calls it, very heavy sets to failure, and then the rest really just pushing a lot of blood in the muscle to move uh, the nutrients around in there. What type of training is good for intra-workout nutrition? The way Milos trains, but I say that with a very extreme caveat of you can't get lost, it's, and that's difficult in the sport, is you can't get lost by being hyper-focused on one thing. The, the ultimate focus needs to be progress as a bodybuilder. And part of that progress as a bodybuilder is by Mac is, is does include maximize your intra-workout nutrition, but it's not exclusive to that. And I think we're, and I, I say this with the utmost respect, but I think where Milos gets wrong with that is that there's a, there's an over-focus on the intra-workout nutrition where there's too much focus spent on maximizing the benefits you get from the intra-workout nutrition to where the actual long-term progress of the training can actually be reduced. And so basically the, the way, and, and he's, he, I'm, I'm kind of picking on the way he was years ago with the, the giant set type stuff that he was doing in training. And, and, and I say this as, you know, he's produced so many extremely high level athletes. I'm not saying anything he's doing is, is incorrect or wrong. I'm saying this is the way I would, I would look at it as why that might not guarantee the best approach. So you, you need to add muscle. And one of the ways you can do you can do that faster is by improving your intra-workout nutrition. And the way to maximize what you get from the intra-workout nutrition is to increase the kind of rate that you're burning through carbohydrates and the rate that you're driving glycogen and nutrients to the muscle. And the way to do that is to combine a ton of intra-workout calories from the nutrients we've talked about, probably using insulin on top of that if you're not a natural athlete. I guess insulin maybe not doesn't make you not natural anymore. I don't even know what people consider these days, but uh combining that and then to maximize how all that works is you want a program that's driving as much blood into the muscle as possible so that glycogen is constantly attempting to be restored meaning you're taking those you're taking the glucose from the hydrolytic rate carbohydrates combined with whatever else is in the intra-workout nutrition driving it to the muscle as glycogen which is going to drag along with it because of insulin the insulin is going to increase the rate of amino acid uptake at those same cells which means those amino acids that are in the intra-workout shake are going to be more likely to get pulled into that area where the, the muscle cells are asking for them and asking for muscle protein synthesis. So that's going to, that's going to kind of maximize the rate of muscle protein synthesis you get from the intra-workout nutrition. The problem is, does that training maximize the rate of muscle protein synthesis just in general? Because that maximizes the amount we get, the amount of benefit we get from the intra-workout nutrition, but that's only also the most advantageous pro way to train for a bodybuilder if it's also the way to maximize amino or muscle protein synthesis. So basically, if, if and I'll use Ronnie's example, if Ronnie's way of training ramps muscle protein synthesis to a 10, but this other way of training only makes it to a five, even though that way of maximizing to a five gets allows you to get the most out of your inter-workout nutrition, which maybe bumps the total count to a six, it's still less than 10. 
if there's another way of training that maximizes muscle protein synthesis in general. So you can, it's, it's really easy to get kind of lost when you're focused with these things because you, you can put a lot of emphasis of how do I get the most out of my interworkout nutrition? And that's great, but if that training that gets the most out of your work your workout nutrition isn't also the type of training that allows you to grow the fastest, then you're, you're, you're kind of not seeing the forest for the trees. Oh, okay. Okay, so, and allow, if I'm tracking correctly or incorrectly, please let me know. Your intra-workout nutrition needs to reflect the type of training that you're doing, correct? Correct, but... Your, your absolute number one primary focus with your training should be what type of training allows me to grow the fastest and then supply your inter-workout nutrition to maximize that. Don't put the inter-workout nutrition first and foremost because then you're going to get caught in this rut where you start tailing your training to maximize your inter-workout nutrition, even though that might not be the type of training that allows you to grow the fastest. It might give you the most benefit from your inter-workout nutrition, but if it's a slower rate, rate of muscle growth, then what does that help? So again, training, main important thing in all of this that we call bodybuilding self-improvement. Yes, yeah. So max, pick, find the best training program and then pick an intro workout that, that works with that. Don't pick the intro workout and then try to tailor your training to that because that training might not be the best training. It might just be the best training for that intro workout, which doesn't guarantee that it's the best way to grow overall because there's a lot more involved than just what you're drinking during your workout for as far as muscle growth. Okay. Um, now let's talk about, since we're on the subject of supplements, let's talk about your relationship with hostile supplements. Uh, that is a, a supplement line ran by Fuad Abiyad. He don't mention it, but I'll mention it. Fuad is an OG Muscle Mayhem member. Oh, I, yeah. I have legit seen Fuad in his fat nightclub days yeah. transform into an IFBB professional bodybuilder with nothing but singular focus. Yeah, no, I, remember, about, I remember Fuad from his, like, his first local Ontario level, I think it was Ontario or Windsor, like Windsor, I can't remember, but yeah, Canadian local level bodybuilding, you know, first show level. I mean, he, he came all the way up through the ranks at on Muscle Mayhem. So tell us about that relationship with Hostel, how it developed and how it's working out right now. And, you know, the personal supplement stack that you're using right now. Yeah, so it, it, it stemmed from, I think Fuad, I mean, I, I appreciate it incredibly because I don't know that I would have thought he would have thought this, but, you know, we, same thing, we've known Fuad forever. You know, and I met him at a couple of the shows 15, 16 years ago. Uh, and so, and we, I've talked to him, you know, in re more recent years, you know, at seeing at the shows also. And so when he was putting the, the supplement company together, I think they wanted kind of a coach as one of their, you know, I'm technically an athlete, but it's, I'm, I'm an athlete coach through them. And so he thought, you know, that I would be a good fit with them. Uh, and I think because we have a lot of the same thoughts and ideas as far as what supplements are the best and what, what approach to pre-workout, intra-workout and everything is. And so it ended up just being a perfect fit. And I, you know, I couldn't be happier with them. You know, uh, it, it, it's a great promotional thing for me for my business because they let me do, you know, I do some videos with them about once a month, uh, which allows me to talk about the things that I'm interested in. Kind of what I was talking about before about that the eBooks only allowed me to do before, where this is another avenue for me to kind of discuss uh, uh, 
these ideas in a way that kind of gets to a much larger audience that I wouldn't have on my own, you know, that, that he does have as an athlete as with a supplement company. And so my personal stack is uh, I use uh, my, my number one thing is intra R3. I love their intra workout. Uh, and I so much so that I actually even tailor my intra workout nutrition now. I don't, you know, I don't force my clients to do that. I hate when people like, you know, make their clients buy their certain products. But I list my intra workout nutrition in terms of, you know, what the ingredients are, what the amino acid count is, uh, and what the, uh, what the carbohydrate count is based on basically what intra R3 is, because I think it's a, it's a very, very solid layout as far as total amino acid layout and amino acid to cluster dextrin, dextrin carbohydrate ratio. So I love their intra workout more than anything. That's head and shoulders, my favorite product of theirs. Now their hostility, I, I like as an as a pre-workout, I'm sorry if I called it intra-workout. Now, intra-R3 is intra-workout. I think I called it pre-workout. I like the pre-workout, the hostility. Uh, I, don't, I don't really use their, their, their. Justin, you there? You cut out on me a little blood bit. Volume. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I said, I don't, I actually, I don't use their bloodshot personally. Uh, yeah, I'm getting a note. My, I live on the boonies. My internet's pretty terrible, I apologize. Uh, their, their blood shot is great if you want to pump, if you're one of those people who really likes to get a good pump. I have big veins, I'm very vascular, I never have a problem getting a pump. So my pre-workout that I like to use for theirs is hostility. And I, I really like their hostility. One thing I would recommend with people using it is they, it has the, uh, I can't think of that mushroom name now, uh, whatever, it's got that mushroom that everyone's adding now. Uh, Cardiceps. Uh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. What I find with that is, that actually, as it's working through and kind of making its action through the body, I almost feel a little lethargic for about 20 minutes after I take it, before the kind of the hype of the pre-workout starts kicking in. So anyone listening, if you do use hostility, and maybe everyone else might not be the same, but it's enough of an effect for me that I would recommend this. I, I recommend taking my pre-workout, my hostility, 30 minutes before my workout. And so that kind of gets through that. And then the, the car sets kind of start giving that mental focus. And, and I kind of get through that initial lethargy it causes right as like kind of the caffeine and the stimulants are kicking in and right about 20 to 30 minutes post-dose, I'm just like fired up, like dead on mental focus, that nice smooth energy. And it's got even a little bit of that vasodilation. So even though it's got the caffeine and stuff, it doesn't cause like kind of that vasoconstriction where your fingers will get cold and your veins go away. It's got enough of a kind of pump stuff through it. Then you'll, you'll, you won't have that as well. And that's the, that, that's, that's basically my primary stack. And then I, I use the pro, their protein also, the ISO H1, which I think is a stellar protein. And I, I shouldn't say this because I'm talking about hostility, but, hostile, but I've always recommended True Nutrition uh, for years because you can really pick what you want. But ISO H1 is the first protein that I, I kind of recommend just as a catch-all where if you don't want to have to go through and, and select a protein yourself if you don't know enough, I just freaking nails it as a protein. It's high quality, digests really well. Uh, it's, you don't need like that cake on a shake cup. It shakes up so well. It's really pure. So those those are my three that I use uh, almost exclusively, but almost exclusively with hostel. That's every workout for me is the hostility pre workout and then the intra R three intra workout. If you can get a hold of some samples, I'd love to try it out. Um, like some I'm sample sure packets. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely. I'll definitely try it out and uh, I'm actually get a review uh, going up, but I've heard good things about them. 
Um, so I'm actually looking forward to trying it. I'll probably pick some up actually. Um, some of the bloodshot, cause I am a pre-workout fan. Don't kill me people. I like my caffeine in the morning. Um, but that's kind of my thing. Um, so Justin, if they want coaching books, anything like that, where can they get in contact with you? The best way is uh, Tripona Nutrition, my website. The problem is, is how do you spell Tripona Nutrition? And so if you don't want to do that, you can just search uh, Justin Harris Bodybuilding or Justin Harris Nutrition on Google. Don't just search Justin Harris because a few years ago, some asshole named Justin Harris killed his wife and kids. <laughs> so oh, now, okay. yeah, you used to be able to just search my name. Now you get some murderous asshole. But J Justin Harris Nutrition at Google will bring you to Tripona Nutrition. And you I'm, can sign up right on there. You can email me uh, if I have openings. I'm not one of those coaches who, who, who handpicks clients. Uh, I think if there's anything I can say about my coaching career that I'm most proud of is that a lot of the names that are big names now uh, were no names when I started working with them. They're young kids who no one knew about. And me, from a personal standpoint, I infinitely more prefer taking someone like that who no one knows. And actually, I have one right now who's going to do the USA is John Rivas, an ex-powerlifter, who I think has a shot at potentially turning pro at the USA's this year that no one knows about. For me, that, that's... Funny part, I'm sorry to interrupt. I talk with his training partner, James Ball, because we're both, he's a oh, Navy, yeah. he's currently in the Navy and I'm a Navy vet. So, but, but please continue. Yeah, so I love that. So don't think that like, if you're a no name or a new competitor that I, that I won't, I'll turn you down. I don't at all. My general approach is all I care is that you're willing to work hard. If I have openings and you ask and you're willing to work hard, I don't, I, I, I don't care if you're a pro bodybuilder, non-bodybuilder, even some overweight guy who wants to get in shape. If I have openings, I won't turn someone down. And this time of year during contest season, uh, late May, June, and July, pretty much every weekend you'll have openings because every week new people are competing and kind of ending their, their, their time with me. So it's a good time to sign on. Uh, I also have a nutritionist, Thomas Lackey, who's a graduate student in nutrition, who is a little less expensive if you want to use him. But yeah, that's how you get in touch with me. And for all of the people that can't spell, which I'm sometimes one of them, even being in journalism, I will put the link in the description video and in the iTunes uh, podcast description. So, Justin, thank you so much for joining. It's always a pleasure to have you on. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I feel like I learned something more uh, every time. Um, but thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Same here, man. We've known each other forever. Uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. No problem. So for Justin Harris, Vaughn Ateen, I'm Larry Brown, and we'll catch you on the flip side.